I enjoy the uh, the hero image for the uh, outline. Yeah, I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. I'm a lead mother. <laughs> Hello. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. Here's my motherfucking farm. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker! Hi, everybody. We'd love to get your feedback. You can post a review wherever you found this podcast. Find us on Twitter at RealDMC or send us a message at feedback at realdmc.com. If you send us some feedback, we may include it in our listener feedback section and you'll hear it on the show. Thank you for listening and now on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the Real DMC podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marcus, and Colin. Colin, quick, you just watched the Batman for the first time. Give us a 20 second review. Go. Really good. Boom. <laughs> Done. <Okay. laughs> All right, there you go. That'll be a new feature on the DMC is just three second reviews from Colin. Thanks, Colin. I like my emoji reviews. A single emoji review. I hate emojis, but yes, that could be funny. That's just because you're old. It's true. Listener feedback. So we received a message from one of our frequent listeners. It's an N. Hudson, Hudson. Not sure exactly how you pronounce it. He wrote in to say, I'm a little worried about Marcus after your gross point blank pod. I frequently agree with his take on movies, e.g. Natural Born Killers, which I can't believe, but but this time I'm much closer to your sentiment, Dave. Gross Point Blank is a great movie, a go-to feel-good sort of film. So Marcus, what's up, dude? Because I just edited Gross Point Blank. Were you having a bad day? No, I just don't. Uh, the movie didn't hit for me. I'm not sure if I'd call it a feel-good movie. Again, 14 deaths. Too much murder for a feel-good movie for you? Probably. Today's film. Uh, today we're here to discuss Ben Stiller's fourth feature film as a director, and arguably his best, in my opinion. From 2008, let's talk about Tropic Thunder. I'm coming, man. Don't you die on me, Foley! I'm sorry, can we cut? What is going on here? Hey, I'm about to jump off this helicopter like Wesley Snipes. I'm doing the scene right now. What scene? The scene is about emotionality. Where is it? God, I am dealing with a bunch of prima donnas. The action guy who left the fridge open. The award winner. Critically acclaimed Australian actor Kirk Lazarus underwent a controversial procedure in order to play the platoon's African-American sergeant. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. The comedian. You think you can do what I do? Take a picture of this. This summer, I want to make this movie right. We take those boys up there, put them in the trees, shoot the whole thing gorilla style. Real fear in the right. Yes, yes. The movie they think they're making. Exterior, rainforest, dust, cut to a frightening jungle. Isn't a movie anymore. Some of us might not make it back. What do you mean? Like, not on the same flight? Thunder. To go lost and dry just to get up that here. No, we up in a big league. That's the theme song for the Jeffersons. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You out of your mind. What? You really need help. And just because the theme song don't make it not true. Uh, so I made this pick, and this is, you know, we talked about how we make our picks on our last pod, which was, I have an idea of a movie I want to do, and then I just change it at the last second. This one just kind of came out of left field, and 
The inspiration was actually the Will Smith slap at the Oscars, because I thought that that was just a huge dick move. <laughs> oh, wow! Wow! Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. The most annoying part of it for me when I watched it was just watching him casually stroll back to his seat and sit down and then get a standing ovation later. I just thought that was a total entitled dickbag move. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, what's a good movie that makes actors look like total assholes? And Tropic Thunder jumped into my head. So that's how we got here. Um, otherwise, it's not like I have a uh, longstanding association with this film or consider it a favorite or anything else. It just kind of jumped into my head. But I did have a good time on the rewatch. Interesting. So this is not a, you would not call this a favorite film. This is literally a pull it out of your butt pick. Yeah, totally. This one just came out. I'm, I'm like, this just jumped into my head after that Oscars moment. And I'm like, oh, let's just watch it. I think you need a better strategy for picking movies. <laughs> I tend to agree. Well, I think, I think we all said that we don't really have a good strategy on our last pod when we were talking about our, the process we use. And I'm using process in air quotes here. I have strategies. Strategiums. Marcus, it is your pick at the end of this podcast tonight. So uh, you can actually talk about your strategy when you make your pick, I guess. I'm ready. So getting back to Tropic Thunder, by way of general introduction, uh, the film maintains a 7.0 on the IMDb. I was actually kind of surprised by that, honestly. I was thinking that it was going to be a little bit higher. Higher? I would have thought so. I think it was higher, and it's going down. One place I looked, it actually did reference the rating on IMDb, and it was like 7.1, but it is now currently 7.0. And I wonder if people are going and now giving it bad ratings because, well, I don't know, the, the times that we're in. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of conversation probably on this pod about that. Does the stuff that's in the film hold up? Is it allowable in the first place? I, for one, just sort of really enjoy this film because it's definitely not politically correct. <laughs> and that makes it kind of fun. Exactly. This will be interesting. The budget for the film was $92 million. It definitely was not a runaway success. It made $110 million at the U.S. box office and $195 million worldwide. So it was a success, but probably... Not for maybe what they invested in it. You know, you can consider this, I guess, kind of a, a high concept comedy film. I'm sure that they were probably a little disappointed with the financial performance. Wait, did you just, just call this a high concept comedy film? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. this is actually, I, agree. I think this is a relatively high concept, smart comedy that has a bunch of satire layered within it. I really do. Wow. No, I totally agree. Marcus, why don't you think so? I don't know. It, does, it seems pretty like low bar for me. It's not that smart of a comedy. There are some good lines, but I don't see it as a smart comedy. It just goes, it just goes kind of goofy and zany to me. No, they're they're, they're totally skewering Hollywood and and yeah, yeah. No, I get and, all and that. actors. And, no, I get that. The way they're doing it is just kind of goofy. I, I actually have a new theory, which is I don't know that you like comedies all that much, Marcus. That's my new theory. I do like comedies. We, me and Colin, we were talking about this before the uh, the pod started. I think it just depends on the type. I definitely do not like this type of comedy. Zany, goofy. Gostin Powers, I don't like. Anchorman, a lot of that type of movie, I don't like. Marcus is all pre-1990 comedies. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He was talking very glowingly about Better Off Dead on the Gross Point Bank podcast. Some of the newer ones, like 40-Year-Old Virgin and Super Bad, and some of those are quite fun. It's just when they get like super goofy. I definitely realize I, I do not like Jack Black at all. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's hold off on talking about Jack Black. So one other just footnote on this one is that Robert Downey Jr. did receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in this film, which is performed in blackface, which is pretty stunning if you think about it. Maybe looking back, I don't think that would happen today. However, 
I will say that I think this is a pretty great performance, and it's just kind of crazy to me that he actually received an Academy Award nomination for this. I think the Academy can, they're, they're thinking, thinking their lords that, uh, that Heath Ledger was in the same category that year. <laughs> can you imagine yeah. if, if Robert Downey Jr. won? Oh my God. He was never going to win. I mean, he was up against, uh, was it Josh Brolin as Dan White in Milk, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt, and Michael Shannon in Revolutionary Road. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman or Josh Brolin probably would have taken yeah, it. Can you imagine if he did? Oh, my God. But also, wow. Just just wow. Like, yeah. I had totally forgotten that he was nominated. And when you look back now, I mean, look, it's a stunning performance. But holy crap. Th- this is probably why the Academy has moved on. They've gotten... They've somewhat diversified or started the process at least. a lot more diverse now. They purged a lot of the roles of this old white man. I don't think the movie gets made today, but I don't think he's going to he's going to be even be nominated. But yeah. great. I mean, wow. <laughs> it's a great performance. It is. It's an absolutely great performance. I mean, I'd be curious, Marcus, if you want to argue that it's not a great oh, performance because no, no, no. I actually think it is. Okay, so I've never I never saw the movie before. This is my first time watching it. I just missed it for whatever reason, probably cuz it's not my type of movie. You guys said like, "Oh, Robert Downey Jr. gets nominated," or I looked it up. So I did not know he was doing blackface going into it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That must have been a huge surprise. Yeah, yeah. I'm about 15, 20 minutes in. I'm like, when is Robert Downey Jr. showing up? Like, what's going on? Oh, my my God. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. And so then I'm like, I'm like, wait, wait, that's, oh, my God. Like, so, yeah, he definitely did a really good job with it. I'm like, oh, man, that's just, wow. (laughs) I can't believe they did this. I totally get to you. I think the, when they finally introduced him, I think it was that Access Hollywood was the first time they kind of like, when they did the, the pigmentation <laughs> yeah. uh, alteration or whatever. The, uh, I'm like, oh my God, this is like wacky. But I get what they did. He's goofing on actors going really deep and being the method actor. and, and go, Method acting, yeah. yeah I like mean, that's, it, yeah. It definitely, it's, the, it's the ultimate extension of method acting. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a certain line, and I don't know if they cross it. The same thing with the Simple Jack character. There's a very fine line. I think with Robert Downey Jr., he's a little bit better. At the Simple Jack, I think, a little too much. Well, I think some of the criticism certainly is warranted, but I think it, it probably it, it gets close to the line, but it doesn't go over the line with Robert Downey Jr. They're, they're making a commentary on these method actors. It's not he himself, Robert Downey Jr., who's in blackface. It is his character who is in blackface. At the end of the movie, he takes it all off, and he realizes what he was doing, and, and that was wrong, right? Yeah. And then with, with Simple Jack, the joke is that... that Actors reaching for yeah. an award or performance and using, you know, maybe almost uh, I guess taking advantage yeah. of somebody who's you know, mentally disabled it, for their own personal gain. Exactly. And it fails miserably. Right. That movie was just a huge bomb. That's sort of that comeuppance. That's why it doesn't quite cross the line. Those are the arguments. Yeah, for Simple Jack... The fact that they kept coming back to it when you're in the POW camp was kind of weird. <laughs> that one, I was like confused at what they were trying to do at that point. Were they supposed to be making fun of them because they liked the movie or they, they only got the VHS? I don't know. It's just That part just seemed a little bit weird. I don't think that the Vietnamese were making fun of Simple Jack. No, they liked it. They truly loved that movie. They were legitimate fans. Yeah, yeah. That, that to me was just a, a coincidence. That's the goofiness of it because they're, they're not supposed to be because it's supposed to be a really bad movie. Right, but that's the only movie they have. Yeah, it's the only movie they have access to. I know. That, that part just seemed weird. 
the whole thing with the blackface too is he was doing it as more of a commentary, whereas I think say in Neil Diamond, who, and who people was like doing that, it as Robert Down- the the movie the movie was using it as a, as yeah, a okay. mechanism, yeah. Whereas previously other Hollywood instances of it have been more making fun of black people and more. We, like, were you referencing the, the jazz singer? There? I was. I was like Neil Diamond. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that one's a little <laughs> more <laughs> exploitive and a little more. In bad taste. Hey, blood, plasma, whatever you want me to call you, brother. If you don't get your three, four black asses out here, I'm going to have to put on another act. But please tell me that ain't no white man. Please. One, two, three, four, brother. Takes a lot of time if you want to write. Whereas this one is intentionally, it's like recognizing it. It's even discussing it with Brandon Jackson's uh, character. They, they mention it and they talk about it. So I think it's okay. That's the other thing I think that works a little bit is that he does get ongoing comeuppance throughout the movie because the Al Pacino character yep. keeps hammering him on the stereotype, the way he's speaking. All right, fellas, we're going to make camp. Rest up. Y'all might be in for a treat. You know, back before the war broke out, I was a saucier in San Antonio. I bet I could call up some of them greens. Yeah, noodle some crawfish out the patty, yo. <laughs> I made some crab apples for dessert now, yeah? Hell yeah! Ha! Hell yeah! Ha! That's how we all talk. We all talk like this, huh? Yes, sir. Huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. Get some crawfish and some ribs. Ha! Yeah! You're Australian! Be Australian! Excuse me, Kangaroo Jack. I get excited about my food, man. It's effective in that it, it at least has an ongoing commentary but i really do think this thing is just it's walking the razor's edge man yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this it, performance it really is oh, oh totally totally and danny knew this going in he almost didn't do it <laughs> right right well he what is it he uh when he first read the script he was like no fucking way i'm not doing this yeah sean penn passed he's like yeah he was wise to pass <laughs> oh, sean penn passed on this yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake well i guess he'd already gone down that path with i am sam yeah yeah well, they make fun of him too, and it. He knew about the potential for a controversy. And he actually said, at the end of the day, it's always about how well you commit to the character. If I didn't feel it was morally sound or that it would be easily misinterpreted, that I'm just C. Thomas Howell in, in Soul Man, I would have stayed home. Yeah, that's a good example. Exactly. Like, Soul Man should never have been made. Yeah. Far worse than what they did here. Brandon Jackson, who plays Al Pacino, he, he, you know, he did say, when I first read the script, I was like, what? Blackface? <laughs> but then I saw him act and he like became a black man. It was just good acting. It was weird on the set because he would keep going with the character. He's a method actor, yeah. which yeah. I love just sort of the irony. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the meta commentary almost on Robert Downey Jr. himself yes. for, for sticking with the exactly. character. Movie within a movie within a movie within a movie. It's just like, Wow. <laughs> On the DVD commentary, he does the DVD commentary as if he's that character. And then the commentary or the movie ends and you hear him just break into his regular Robert Downey Jr. voice. So apparently he does the entire DVD commentary as the character. Which is hilarious. But don't make character until the DVD commentary. (laughs) I don't know if that's commitment or people are expecting me to do it in the character and I'm going to do it in the character. I mean... Talk about selling a joke. <laughs> That's just fantastic. He goes the extra mile for this one, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing, they do the same kind of spoofing on every character type in the movie too, right? Tom Cruise plays the executive and they have a similar over the top, the agent over the top. 
And even uh, Al Pacino, Brandon T. Jackson's uh, character, starts off as the over-stereotyped black rapper. I forget all the drink names and all that stuff. But Booty sweat. Booty sweat. <laughs> Booty sweat, that's right. <laughs> and the bust and nut bar, I believe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kid comes out that he's gay. So they're like playing with the stereotypes of every single character. So there's some interesting parts to it, but I think also some parts just don't work for me too. Jack Black, for instance. Just a couple things about the production. I do love the fact that Ben Stiller came up with this idea all the way back in 1987. He came up with the idea because he himself had auditioned for Platoon and I think Hamburger Hill as well. Several actors took part in those films and as part of it were subjected to a couple weeks of military boot camp. And then they were telling him like, oh my gosh, this boot camp is super intense. And he was thinking, he's like, you dipshit, you're an actor, right? This is nothing like the actual military training. And, and so he thought that was really funny. And he thought there was a concept there. And I guess originally his script idea was to have actors that went through military boot camp and then developed PTSD because of the military boot camp. <laughs> like that was his original idea for what the script was going to be. And then he realized, he's like, ah, eh, that's actually maybe not that funny in terms of the PTSD thing. So they pulled back on that. And then this is the direction that they went. But it is kind of fun to me that this is an idea that was initially you know, germinated in 1987. And it was actually part of his own personal history because he was frustrated with not getting roles in those other films. I'm curious because you said those other films. And uh, I had read that he came up with this idea while he was shooting Empire of the Sun. And so I just took it to that they had had to go through one of those boot camps before shooting that movie. Which, by the way, I did not even remember that Ben Stiller was in Empire of the Sun. It was a small role. Yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't remember that either, actually. Yeah, but I, I want to give some credit where credit is due. The idea for having the actors go to a boot camp and then returning with PTSD, Justin Theroux. The Prime Minister of Canada? No, no, no. It's actually <laughs> true to believe. Justin Theroux wrote the screenplay along with Ben Stiller. And I was just like, wait, that guy? Anyway, that's my own little Justin Theroux thing. It's an interesting idea but uh, yeah, I think they sort of had to move away from that. And I think what they ended up with is a lot better. And then I guess what's funny about this particular movie is that they were going to do their own boot camp, military boot camp for the actors. They only had a, I think it was going to be a week or something like that. And then Robert Downey Jr., I guess his schedule didn't allow for that. So it came down to where they had the option to do a two-day boot camp or have a big cast dinner. And Ben Stiller said, oh, let's just have the cast dinner. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be more fun. They did not do their own boot camp. I think it's more appropriate Who's that one guy? Sandusky? He like went through the boot camp as the actor he was playing. Right. He was serious. But everyone else skipped it. I think it's better that they didn't go through the boot camp because they're not supposed to have gone through the boot camp. Exactly. Right. Because they're all self-entitled, self-important yeah. actors. And they didn't go to the boot camp. They didn't read the book. Yeah. They didn't read the script. We do it just like in the book. Chapter 26, The Wet Offensive. The Book of Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Did you guys read the book? Uh, flap. I read the back flap. It's on the pictures. Well, it, it's okay. It's exactly the same as in the script. Cool. You guys all read the script, right? I don't read the script. Script reads me. What the hell does that even mean? What you getting at with the book? Script. Spit that shit out, man. Nobody did anything for this movie except for <laughs> poor Sandusky. I don't read scripts. Scripts read me. <laughs> 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 uh, just great good good uh, and then one more just general thing about the production apparently it was a, it was a tough production apparently many crew members got sick or were bitten by centipedes and a couple of people had to go to the hospital and 
I guess at the end of it, Ben Stiller passed out shirts to the crew that it was, you know, I survived making a Ben Stiller movie or something like that. I forget (laughs) what the exact t-shirt quote was. I mean, it's not like they went to the Philippines to film this. They were in Kauai. Yeah, but apparently still tough. Director's Corner. Ben Stiller. So he has directed five films and a couple series. Just do you have an opinion about Ben Stiller as a director versus Ben Stiller as an actor? (laughs) (laughs) This this, this better be something good. That's quite a windup, dude. (laughs) I'm going to generally say that Ben Stiller is not my favorite comedy actor, but he's gotten better and better as a director over his career. I really liked Reality Bites. It's not as good as it was, you know, like looking back at it. He was, you know, fairly young when he directed that. And I thought he did a great job. I think he did a great job with with this movie. I did actually see The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And it was a well-made movie. Yeah. The other movies that he directed, I know about are The Cable Guy and Zoolander. I've never seen Zoolander. And The Cable Guy, I just really, I no, just no. <laughs> He's recently directed uh, a lot of tv he did you know escape at danamora which was a mini series he either was nominated or even won i think an emmy for that and then he's been directing this new apple plus series called severance which has is very highly rated and i've heard a lot about it have you guys watched that yet no have you it's really really interesting and it's really well done and the photography in it is quite captivating and you know the atmosphere that gets created is pretty great for me personally, it's been a little difficult because it's watching somebody at work. <laughs> That's not really <laughs> what I want to be seeing right now. <laughs> I would recommend it as a series. It's super weird, but very hypnotic in a way. Colin, he was nominated for, what is it, Escape from Danamora? He won his Emmy for the Ben Stiller show, writing for the Ben Stiller show. I watched Escape at Danamora. It was really quite good. Yeah, for him, I'm not a fan. Well, Meet the Parents was pretty good. Uh, Robert De Niro was more the... Surprise star in that. <laughs> Agreed. The follow-up on that is where it falls apart. Completely zany in like Meet the Fockers. That one I can't watch. So I enjoyed the first one, but then it goes too far. As far as directing, I've seen The Secret Life of uh, Walter Mitty, and I really enjoyed that one. I thought it was good. I'm never going to watch Zoolander. That is definitely not for me at all. And The Cable Guy is similar. Those are not my type of movies. I'm not saying he's not funny, but his characters always just sort of great on me. I really like Meet the Parents a lot. He's trying to say that um, he milked the cat. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all De Niro. What fucking kills that is De Niro saying, I, I, I had no idea you could milk a cat. Oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? That's just fucking gold. <laughs> yeah. And he has it in Tropic Thunder, too. There's just kind of whiny, annoying. That's what he's supposed to be playing. I don't know. I don't like it. He's always playing that one character where he's really good at it, but that I find the character really annoying. What you were saying before in terms of Ben Stiller not being somebody that you love, I would be in the same camp. Like I'm not necessarily drawn to everything that he does, but it is material dependent. And so I think about there's something about Mary, for example, which I think he just crushes. He's great in that movie. Actually, yeah, yeah. It is very much dependent on the particular screenplay. It does feel to me that a lot of his characters are very similar to each other. Yeah. He's, he's the, Cusackian, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. But I will say that there's something about Mary. Ted, I really like his character in that movie. Yeah. It helps, though, that Cameron Diaz is there because she really steals the show. Jerry Stiller is still my favorite. Stiller. <laughs> 
casting call. So one thing to note is that I guess Keanu Reeves was Ben Stiller's first choice for the Tug Speedman role. I read that. Weird. I don't see it working well. I don't see Keanu Reeves in this role either. It doesn't feel right. It to would me. probably change the movie a lot because I don't see Keanu Reeves playing the simple Jack character. So they, I think it would have to change completely. It just wouldn't work. Oh my god! Oh no, my god, dude. No, 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 no! Nobody could do that role except for uh, Ben, ben Stiller. Stiller. Yeah. Uh simple Jack. No, 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 no. You could get someone like Jeff Bridges or Jim Carrey. These wacky Jim guys Carrey. can kind of do it. It wouldn't be good. I think Ben Stiller does it better than Jim Carrey would. Oh, Jim Carrey would not be the right actor either. I don't think he'd handle it quite delicately enough. Uh, you m- 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 make me happy. Oh, man. I can't believe the Access Hollywood lady did that. Oh, my God. Then a tough year for Tug, the disappointing buddy comedy Chitlin and the Dude was followed by an ill-advised venture into serious dramatic territory. Simple Jack, the story of a mentally impaired farmhand who can talk to animals was a box office disaster that many critics called one of the worst movies of all time. I ain't got a good brain. I think you've got a fine brain, Jack. You make me happy. But now the question is, can Speedman make audiences happy in what's being called the most expensive war movie ever That was... Terrible. So, so if Keanu Reeves is going to be in this role, I, f- I feel like he'd have to be playing it like Ted from Bill and Ted, right? Like very oblivious, kind of A- just completely st- oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of Ben Stiller was he's this action star. I don't think it works with Keanu. No, you need somebody who's going to be more like Stallone, Rambo-ish. Stiller, you know, I think he pulls it off. Like in the trailer, was it Scorcher? Scorcher. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that Keanu could really do that. He has the action movie persona. I don't think he'd be able to do the whiny, needy actor part. I think that's where he'd lose me. Because he's done speed. He's done a bunch of good, you know, Johnny Mnemonic, awesome action movies. (laughs) Johnny Mnemonic. (laughs) Yeah. But is he... My Own Private Idaho, that action movie. (laughs) Uh all right, so uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Kirk Lazarus, and again, it's just this. This is the performance of a lifetime, I think, because he's walking the razor's edge, uh, but having a tons of fun with it. He's actually very captivating as the character that he creates. All of it somehow works, and it, it works on multiple levels simultaneously. Yeah, he carries it. He does. He is the absolute hundred percent star of this film. He also has eighty percent of the best lines yeah he he's he's fantastic supposedly most of it was uh ad lib too so i don't know how much of his great lines were just made up by him or what oh yeah wow talk about a tour de force but if he didn't nail this it could have gone really south right yeah it would have failed we all know about method actors and how they stay in character off the set i mean it's just like daniel day lewis when he was on uh, the set of there will be blood the guy who originally was going to play the, the Paul Dano part basically lost his nerve. He was like too intimidated because Dana Day-Lewis was walking around as his character and he was just like freaking out. So they had to replace him. He's drinking everybody's milkshake, man. <laughs> if a guy goes so far as to change the pigment of his skin to play this role. Now that's something worth talking about. 
And not only that, but when they show that Access Hollywood tape and he is rolling out in the wheelchair, he's already putting the, the physicality of his new character into action at that point, which is it's just kind of crazy to see. <laughs> it's a really good performance. The character was originally supposed to be Irish, by the way, but it was changed to Australian at Robert Downey Jr.'s request. You know because why? He had, yeah, because he'd mastered the Australian accent for Wayne Guile. Wayne Guile. Wayne Guile. For Natural Born Killers, yes. Which is funny because that's like 14 years before this movie. <laughs> well, and then I guess Robert Downey Jr. said that he based his Kirk Lazarus character on a combination of Russell Crowe, Daniel Day-Lewis, and a little Colin Farrell. That's what I read. The Colin Farrell part I was scratching my head about, but I guess if the, the character was intended to be Irish, maybe that's why, because he's not really a method actor. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, <laughs> we don't know. Okay. So you have Jack Black as Portnoy. So Marcus, I think you may have some things to say here. He is so annoying. His character is annoying. He does a terrible job with it. The actor himself, everything about him, I just did not like in this movie. I thought I liked Jack Black at some point, now looking back at his movies, he was actually a total jerk in High Fidelity, and he's not that likable in that movie. I think the only thing I like him in is like maybe Jumanji and King Kong, very small roles in both those movies. So I'm going to say I don't like Jack Black. I haven't seen School of Rock. A lot of the things he's done, not for me. School of Rock is good. You should watch that. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. It's also Linklater. He, he directed yeah. it. And Jack Black is actually good. He's fun in it. He's not annoying. He's not. But I totally agree with you. In a lot of his roles, he's pretty in your face and annoying. Of the entire cast, his character was my least favorite. Yeah. Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Like the characters in the fatties, they're just grotesque. Yeah, just horrible. I mean, that's purposefully done, no, no. Right? I know, yeah, I know. They're I know, making I know. fun of the Nutty Professor and all the Eddie Murphy bullshit, right? They but he does it. So, he nails it so well. It's just terrible, though. I, I was actually annoyed from that start. I'm just like, uh-oh, this is not starting me off on a good foot here. The characters in the trailer and all that, it just, it looked absolutely horrible, but I that was the intent of it. I actually kind of enjoyed the fact that they were so accurately skewering all those horrible Eddie Murphy movies, which I haven't seen. I've just seen the trailers for yeah. it. You know, Eddie Murphy used to make these really great kind of edgy, interesting films, Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, yeah. et cetera. I guess, I don't know when all that stuff started, but... I think it started with The Nutty Professor, which I, I actually like. I think it's a really funny movie. I did not yeah. see The Clumps. A whole movie based off of, like, one scene in the movie. That's crazy. But Tyler yeah. Perry's also has a bunch of movies where he dresses up in fat suits. Yeah, the Medea film. Yeah, terrible. We're all probably in the same place, I guess, on uh, Jack Black. Even when he's his Jeff Portnoy actor character who's, like, strung out on drugs, he was just annoying. There wasn't any fun with him at all. There was one scene they purposely tied up so he, he won't get the drugs. Alpha, if you untie me, I will literally suck your dick right now. I told you for the last time, I love the pussy. I'll cradle the balls, stroke the shaft, work the pipe, swallow the grating. Get it over here, buddy. Let's do this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was a virtuoso light reading from him. So Brandon T. Jackson as Al Pacino. It's funny because this role ends up being a little bit more understated than you would think based on the opening booty sweat commercial they put in your face. I was expecting him to be more of a diva, I guess, than he was. He's kind of game for the adventure along the way, but he is a great foil to Robert Downey Jr.'s Kirk Lazarus in terms of just sitting there and just kneecapping him, kneecapping him with these small, subtle comments. Yeah. But my only question about when I was rewatching this is I thought I had remembered that 
he was going to be far more aggressive as a character towards the Kirk Lazarus character in this. It seemed that they went a little bit lighter than I would have expected, I guess. Well, maybe that was because what I think this was his first time acting. I'm talking about the character, Al Pacino. Right. And here's this guy who's five-time Academy Award winner. There's a factor of being intimidated. This guy's a, a living legend. But the fact that he stays in the character the whole time, over the course of the movie, it eats on him and eats on him and eats on him. It just it's, pisses it's, him off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until he finally confronts him when um, Tug says something to the to the group about like you people not wanting to hump out of here or something robert downey jr's character goes what do you mean you people you hear al pacino in the background go what do you mean you people (laughs) (laughs) that that was a great little line there yeah and marcus that's actually an example of where i would say this is smart comedy right because you're letting a joke roll out it's multi-layered it's pretty effective it's a good takedown again of kirk lazarus being a just a fucking dipshit (laughs) Like I said, there's some good writing, there's some good lines. The overall, it doesn't work for me. I'm not saying it's a bad movie, it just doesn't work for me. Anything else on Brandon T. Jackson? I thought it was a really good performance. I don't really know him from any other movies. I don't recognize him from anything else. Apparently, Kevin Hart was offered this role, Uh, and he turned it down because he did not want to play a gay character. Oh, interesting. Which, in retrospect, it's like, uh, yeah, Kevin, (laughs) Kevin, Kevin. It's not like he's kissing anyone or anything in this movie. His character is closeted gay, and that's basically right. it. He comes out at the very end of the movie. And Kevin Hart, you couldn't do that? Yeah, Kevin Hart has some issues, I think. <laughs> Kevin Hart definitely has some issues. The whole point of him being gay was because he's supposed to, oh, I'm a black actor, so I can only be this stereotype. I can't be a gay black actor. So like Kevin Hart saying, oh, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to be a gay black actor. It's kind of funny. Yeah, no, the irony is rich. For Kevin Hart, he is zany and crazy, but I do love Kevin Hart too. His movies I find quite funny. He has just enough that it's not too much. And usually he's not like the only star in it. I like Brandon Jackson in this movie, but Kevin Hart, I think, would have just killed it. Uh, He would have made much better. Maybe too much. I don't know. Too bad you can't play gay. Uh, So you have Danny McBride here as Cody. So he's the special effects guy. (laughs) He's my star of the movie. Love him. I guess my question is, does Danny McBride have range? (laughs) No. Danny McBride plays Danny McBride. He's fantastic. He's that guy, but he does that guy well. And I actually like the Danny McBride performance in this because I think he dials it down a little bit from some of his other stuff. And I kind of appreciate it. There are a few little moments where, like when he's watching him talk about, he's watching the guy on the ground yell Al Pacino's movies. And then he's sitting there and he's watching, he's like, yeah, Sea of Love. He's adding a couple, like just little things like that. He has a few little moments, I think, that really work well in this movie. He he made me laugh. I like his enthusiasm. I'm generally not a fan. Jay uh, Baruchel as uh, Kevin Sandusky, otherwise known as Brooklyn. So you're very typical Vietnam character from New York. I actually, I really like him in this movie. I think he's pretty solid. He's trying to, you know, keep a level head on his shoulders. My, my most common association with him would be from the How to Train Your Dragon movies, the series, which I love. Yep. His voice is very distinctive to me. Who does he voice in those movies? Hiccup, the main dude. Oh, I, I had no idea. I mean, I've seen the movie once, Dave. Come on. It's a favorite in the Harris household. Good movies. He does a good job. He plays a straight guy, straight as in being the straight man. Um, <laughs> thanks for cleaning that up. He just plays the like kind of normal. Hey, I'm just an actor trying to make it and survive. I do like him in other films that I've seen him in. He made a movie with uh, Nicolas Cage 
that we watched randomly with the kids a long time ago. I was not expecting much out of it. It was, I think it was a Disney film based on The Sorcerer's Apprentice, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty good in that. And then he's also in at least one of the comedies with... Seth Rogen. Yeah, the Seth Rogen and those guys. This is the end. Yeah, yeah. He was fun in that. Uh, I like him as an actor. Yeah, that crew I generally like, but I think This is the End kind of goes a little overboard. Oh, that movie does. Absolutely. I really like Jay Baruchel a lot, mostly from the uh, uh, Apatow movies. So you have Nick Nolte as Four Leaf Tayback, <laughs> and Nick Nolte plays old, grizzled uh, Nick Nolte, because that's what, he, that's what he is to me every time I see him in that role. Uh, he plays that pretty well, so he's a, he's a slightly older, slightly grizzled Danny McBride, I guess, in terms of... Uh, <laughs> He's Nick Nolte. He's fun in this as the faker. Nick Nolte, for me, the, you know, the association goes all the way back to you know, movies from the late 70s and, yeah. and, of course, 48 Hours. That was probably the big introduction when I was growing up. For sure. I have a soft spot for Nick Nolte. No, he's great. He's got the voice. He's just like grizzled is a great description of him. He's not really pushing out the range at all in this role. He's just basically paying Nick Nolte. Which is funny. What yeah. is 48 Hours? Is like 82. He's got the same voice now. That's Nolte for you. So you have Matthew McConaughey as Rick Peck, also known as the Pecker in, in several moments. I love the Matthew McConaughey energy in this movie. He's fun. He delivers dialogue in a positive way when he's saying negative things. So his ability to do that is just great. Hey, you see that Access Hollywood piece? Yeah, I did. It was like pistol whipping a blind kid. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Tug. You are a huge star. All right, but right now... You're like that kid on the playground, you know, the one, the one who has lice that none of the other kids want to play with. What do you mean? I mean, we got to shave your head and get you back on the monkey bars, right? What? What? How, how the- <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, by the way, apparently Owen Wilson was originally cast in this role, and then he attempted suicide, so he ended up dropping out, and so they ended up bringing in Matthew McConaughey. This was the role that was also originally offered to Tom Cruise. And so I guess it was Tom Cruise that said hey, do you have somebody from the studio? Because you would, you would need a studio person who's overseeing this and freaking out. And they said no. And so they wrote this character based on Tom Cruise's suggestion. And I guess Tom Cruise ended up recommending the look and the dancing and all that. All that came from Tom Cruise. So he was a very formative part of the Les Grossman character. Yeah, he actually um, gave them the idea to give Les Grossman these big, large hands. I have to say, Les Grossman's meaty forearms and hands are absolutely amazing. I mean, he looks like Popeye. <laughs> wow. That was another one. I, I didn't recognize him. It's Tom Cruise. I think maybe the second scene he was in. I'm like, wait a minute. That is Tom Cruise. Holy cow. They meant for his involvement to be a secret, but some paparazzi took pictures of him in his outfit. Uh, so the word got out and they were really pissed off because they really wanted it to be a big surprise for fans. Apparently, I guess he sent legal teams out to cease and desist on people that were trying to publish information about him being in the film so they, they took it very seriously yeah but it it was i guess it was out there for just a little too long because they they did take the pictures down word got out don't take the movie too serious it's not that serious of a movie <laughs> somebody who had was saying or there was a rumor out there that this was a role that cruz was specifically looking for to try and change the conversation because this was soon after i guess his couch jumping episode on oprah yeah i could see that he wanted to come along and kind of shake things up a little bit and move the narrative forward. So I don't know if that's true or not, but he seems to be having a really good time with this character. So and this character is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've heard things like he was trying to appeal to a younger audience, which he, at this point he was lo- losing a lot of those younger audiences. And I don't know. For me, it doesn't really matter. It's too small a role to be like a game changer. 
I just love the fact that he was totally game to take this, essentially, this small role, don a fat suit and a lot of makeup and just have a lot of fun. Run with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, his, so Bill Hader plays his assistant. Bill Hader's a lot of fun in this as well. Good uh, complimentary energy <laughs> because I just love the fact that he's just an extension of Les Grossman and he has no personal agency whatsoever. And so he's just at Grossman's whim. I, I mean, I'm a big Bill Hader fan, so I like seeing him in anything. Yeah. And there's not a lot that's going on here other than him just sort of echoing what Grossman's doing, but he's doing it pretty well. If you need a person to stand in the background and be funny, and he doesn't have to say anything. I think Bill Hader is your guy. He carries it so well. I love him. Now, I didn't really watch him on Saturday Night Live. And I know he does a lot of voices, a lot of characters. His Schwarzenegger and and Al Pacino are are fantastic. These three roles, I think, do a really good job of just spoofing on the executive, the executive whipping boy and the agent. They just really go over the top with them. And so I I thought it was a good look at those characters to round out the complete Hollywood. Okay, we're looking at actors. We're looking at directors. We're looking at agents and executives. And they kind of poke fun at all of them. The whole movie is just, it's all Hollywood, not just the actors themselves, too. Oh, it's just, it's, it's taking it down across the board, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, uh, anybody else from the cast you'd like to mention? There's a bunch of cameos. I do love the, the Tobey Maguire cameo is uh, fantastic in the trailer. <laughs> it's not even him, it's just the fact that he's introduced as the MTV's 2000, whatever, eight winner of Best Kiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I don't know what happened when they were filming that trailer. Whoever they had, I guess, dropped out last minute. And they called on uh, Tobey Maguire, and he just did him a total solid. He had like two, maybe three hours tops to be able to film that trailer yeah, because yeah. he was he was going to get on a flight to Europe for his next project. He was a champ. All right. So uh, anybody else from the cast you'd like to talk about? Steve Coogan, who plays the director. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Damien Cockburn, which... <laughs> You, I mean, that name, C-O-C-K-B-U-R-N, is pronounced Coburn. And I just kept waiting for someone to say that in the movie. It, even Damien, for him to say, well, it's actually pronounced Coburn. Guys like dick and fart jokes. So Cockburn it is. I really like Steve Coogan a lot. I don't know if you've seen him a lot. Oh, I'm a big Steve Coogan fan in terms of what I've seen him in. But mostly I'm a fan of his appearances on talk shows and interview shows and he has a there's a road trip show that i, I forget it's a, it's a bbc produced show are you talking about the movies the trip or the show it's the one where he's doing the they're doing a michael kane impersonation yeah, yeah. So there, off yeah there's, so there's a, a several movies i think the first one was the trip and then there's like the trip to spain and the trip to greece and those are fun movies but the, the michael kane office like that one is just that i can i probably watched that clip on youtube I don't know, 30, 40 times. Right, this is how Michael Caine speaks. Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. When he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 60. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. Yeah, Coogan is just a lot of fun. And and when I saw him in this as the director, I was like, oh, great, Steve Coogan. And I totally forgot that he dies within the first 20 minutes. That was a good surprise, too. I didn't expect it at all. I'm like, oh, shit. He just, <laughs> he, he just gives this like great, inspiring speech yeah. and turns around and yep. you hear beep. And he's like, oh. 
Poof. Opening questions. We touched on this a little bit, but I'll just ask it as the first question. Could this movie be made today? No. Yeah, I don't think they would. I don't think they'd touch it. I'm going to say it's a solid no at this point. That makes this movie more interesting to me because it's kind of fun to have something that was created in 2008 and 14 years later is now verboten. So I just think that that's kind of interesting. It is because I think you can still watch this movie today and you can watch it within the context of it being made in 2008. And we're talking about the controversies and I still don't think it's inappropriate because I think they handle it well, but... You just couldn't make it today. No one would make this today. There'd be some blowback and and pushback for it, but I think people would just be too afraid to make it. Not that it wouldn't be acceptable to make it. Exactly. I think that's more the issue. I think people are are too sensitive and they'd be worried about cancel culture and worried about what it might say or whatever it might be. Even if it doesn't come, they're just like, it's not worth it. Why would I want to risk that? The funny thing on that one, or sort of maybe the unfortunate thing, is that a lot of people wouldn't bother looking at the content of what the movie is in terms of the message that it's trying to put forward with taking these guys down, entitled assholes, really stupid. Uh, they would just see the blackface and that would be enough. There's a, a, it's a, a line of commentary that, or you know, satire that is going to be slowly eliminated, I think, because of cancel culture that it takes away the opportunity to once in a while just give somebody a kick in the balls when they deserve it. Yeah. It's a cycle. It'll come back around. Yeah. I mean, that being said, I'm sure there are some filmmakers out there who would relish the yeah. the opportunity to just go ahead and do that and create that controversy. So maybe it yeah. would, but would it be a $92 million movie? I don't think so. No. The, the real question is, would Eddie Murphy going under whiteface be made today? Yeah. You're saying like the Saturday Night Live skit? Yeah. Or the White Chicks movie with uh, the, the Wayans brothers? Yeah, I don't think White Chicks is being made. But the Eddie Murphy one, I think, is still, like, totally relevant today. Yeah, yeah. Gotta say, it's more of a commentary. Like, I don't know. I think maybe the general face changing or the some of that stuff is people are going to be looking to avoid it if they can. Um, I will note that there was a Michael Ordana article in SF Gate where it was an interview with Ben Stiller. And when Downey says, quote, I was like, Ben Stiller? He's going to call me up and say, I want to do a great big movie with you, but I want you to have the highest risk factor, and I want to maybe put you up to ridicule and have people hate you for doing something that you should have known was wrong to do. <laughs> so that was uh, <laughs> that was Downey's interpretation of what was coming in in terms of the offer. And then Stiller himself said, uh, I'm sure there are people who, out of context, wonder about it, and I totally respect that, because out of context, you'd say, what's going on here? But we were always clear when we made, were making the movie, what our intention was and where the humor was coming from, that you have an actor who goes too far, who takes himself too seriously, believes that he can transform into any role, and he is wrongheaded. So that's kind of what I mean about the unfortunate nature of the, I guess, the, the short-term evolution of our culture is I think that it does take away the opportunity to nail somebody or take them down a couple of pegs and use satire to do it. Obviously, Ben Stiller was very, very cognizant of the potential for a controversy. He previewed the film for the NAACP and several black journalists reacted positively to Downey's character. I think he wanted to make sure that they didn't go over the line. I was to say, I read where Jamie Foxx was on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, and this was only maybe four or five years ago. And he was saying he wasn't offended at all by Robert Downey Jr.'s performance or what he did. And it's like, yeah, I was even at his birthday party and made a joke about him stealing our roles. <laughs> <laughs> 
his overall view is you have to give space to artists and let them work and, and, and try and see it as more of art and commentary and not necessarily, uh, you know, something negative just because they did one thing. The actions presented here are not favorable to Kirk Lazarus as a character, right? I mean, exactly. you get kind of wrapped up into him playing this role, honestly, as you're watching the movie, because it's kind of fun. But at the whole time, you're thinking, what a dipshit. At least, you know, I think that's what the audience is intended to think anyways. It's a fine line, too, because he's pretty funny. Yeah. At certain points, you're like, oh, is it funny because the way he's portraying it? Or is it funny just because he's being funny? Or is it kind of, there is a weird thing going on there, which is, which makes it interesting. Yeah. He inhabits the character for sure. Yeah. He's, you know, he's there. He's, he's really bringing it. You can never see it from the side of someone who's black. And so ultimately, I don't know if it's appropriate or not. I'm sure some people are offended by it and others are not. I think he, as an actor, did everything in his power to make it so that it was a sincere but funny portrayal without making it offensive. It's a very fine line. And that's where I think the simple Jack part actually does cross it. They don't walk it as finely. Well, that is the other part of the controversy with this movie. They'd done a bunch of promotions and marketing for this, and they created websites for the the different movies, right? You know, like the Scorcher and the Fatties and Simple Jack. And they actually had to remove the fake Simple Jack website because people were just simply taking it out of context. And so they took it down. Ben Stiller still defended it. He said, we screened the movie so many times and this didn't come up until very late. In the context of the film, I think it's really clear they were making fun of the actors and the actors who try to use serious subjects to win awards. If you haven't seen the movie and you just go to the Simple Jack website, I can imagine what that (laughs) website was like. And yeah, I could see why people might be upset. And then ultimately, this is a studio. DreamWorks said, Tropic Thunder is an R-rated comedy that satirizes Hollywood and its excesses, makes its point by featuring inappropriate and over-the-top characters in ridiculous situations. That's it. I mean, you just have to understand that. I don't take it for anything other than that. It's satire. Yeah, it's not complimentary to any of these people in any of their actions for the most part. Yeah. Also, now I'm starting to think a little bit more about that Oscar nomination because Hollywood loves to honor Hollywood. Any movie that's about actors or (laughs) making a movie, they tend to reward those movies. So now it's sort of like not a surprise. How many times do do they nominate either comedies or actors in comedies, in a comedic role? Not much. Not very often. Not, Not often at all. So... It's very surprising that he was nominated. But again, he was playing an actor. Well, that's like the player, right? The player was nominated for a few Academy Awards also. Yeah. Very similar. Uh, the Oscars love to reward Hollywood. Hollywood loves Hollywood. Hollywood loves Hollywood. Well, that's why we also thought La La Land would win too. This is very true. Moonlight. <laughs> if it had been five to 10 years earlier, La La Land would have won. Moonlight would never have had a chance. Of the three trailers at the beginning of the movie, Scorcher, The Fatties, what is it? The Fatties Fart 2? <laughs> yeah. So dumb. What's the third one? It's Satan's Alley. Satan's Alley. Which film would you most like to see? If you had to see one, which one would it be? They're all terrible. Satan's Alley would probably be the one I'd see. Portman's looks just dumb. That the fat family, oh, just horrible. That just looks so, so dumb. And I think you guys are watching the Scorcher series now with the, uh, how deep are you going in uh, Bruce Willis directed video movies? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've only seen about 20 minutes of one of his directed <laughs> exactly. video films. So exactly. That was more than enough. But yes, I would go with the Scorcher film. 
Or actually, maybe I would read a review to see if uh, Satan's Alley was pretty good, because I'm not opposed to the content. It just has to be a good movie and not be overly pretentious. Satan's Alley sounds almost like maybe it's a horror movie. So I was hoping for that. (laughs) (laughs) The fatties thing and just my association with Eddie Murphy and all that, that is my absolute least favorite movie. No, just hard pass. Thank you very much. Yeah, terrible. Nobody wants to see that. So I was really concerned with the opening. This isn't going to go well. Did you understand that this movie was mocking stuff? I didn't know the premise of the movie until after, I don't know. It took me a little bit to get it. Actually, until until the dialogue, then I got actually, I'm like, okay, it's kind of funny. And it was a satire and it was like a comedy, but I thought it was more just a straight satire, like uh, Commando, one of the war movies or something like that. Oh, okay. I didn't know the movie inside the movie part of it at all. Colin, you didn't say which one you'd say. Well, it would probably be Satan's Alley, but then I learned that it was almost three hours long, so I might oh, just have to go Scorcher, <laughs> Scorcher <Yeah>. 6. <laughs> yeah, just knock that one out in 90 minutes. Call it a day. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into this thing. Okay, so speaking of the fake trailers, so I do think the fake trailers are a lot of fun, and I think they do a nice job of, again, skewering a few repeated patterns in Hollywood. The Scorcher series with Tug Speedman and... I love the fact that the voice says something like the one man who made a difference five times before or whatever it is. So <laughs> it's really just harping on the sequels and the endless action sequels and all that. He delivers some ridiculous line. Do you mean who left the fridge open? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here we go again, again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like awful lines, these awful tag lines. You get the sense that this is not a series that is probably all that great. Maybe the first movie, but... The rest of it seems like very formulaic. That was the Spaceballs line. We meet again for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) While I hate the content and it really sort of grosses me out what I see on screen, the Fatties trailer just for the absolute roast of Eddie Murphy, I just love because I have to imagine that Eddie Murphy saw that at some point or people were referencing it to him and he's like, oh yeah, maybe I should stop making those kind of movies. (laughs) I'm hoping that's what brought him back to some of the Dolomite and some of the other stuff he's doing right now, because well, thank God he's out of that phase. I don't know. There's this theory that you know, he was up for an Academy Award nomination, or maybe it was a win for um, Dreamgirls. It's Eddie Murphy's year. He's going to do it. He's going to win an Oscar. And unfortunately, in February, Norbert, Norbit or Norbert, uh, I think Norbert yeah. premiered, and it's one of those movies and it just killed Oscar buzz. Yeah. Which is why now they're very conscious about knowing, well, if an actor might be up for an Academy Award, what is the next movie that's going to be released? And if we think it might damage his chances, we have to release it after the Oscar ceremony. No, that's interesting. He's happy with the paychecks. I think he was on the Seinfeld comedian in cars getting coffee. He's like, hey, my girls are going to college. I need, needed some money. <laughs> <laughs> guy's got hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, come on. Have some artistic integrity. The open did remind me a lot of UHF, though. Conan the Library. Yeah, exactly. Like the Gandhi 2. Yeah. He's back. And this time, he's mad. Gandhi 2. No more Mr. Passive Resistance. He's out to kick some butt. Uh, and then the third film is Kirk Lazarus, his five-time Academy Award winner. And I do like the fact that they mentioned that the film received the coveted Crying Monkey Award from the Beijing Film Festival. So, of course, that's a little bit, you know, ripping on the, the Palme d'Or or anything else, right, in terms of these other film festivals taking a shot at 
some of the more pretentious shit that gets created, which maybe someone's look, looking for an award when they make the movie. True. But then still throwing in MTV's best kiss. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. Five-time Academy Award winner, Kirk Lazarus, and MTV Movie Awards best kiss winner, Toby Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> they must have literally wrote that at the last minute when they got Toby Maguire, yeah. and they were just like rolling on the floor laughing when they thought of this. <laughs> It's hilarious just comparing it to the Academy Award winner, too. It's just so funny. Yeah. And nobody has ever won five Academy Awards. Catherine Hepburn has won four. He is a living legend as an actor. No actor has. Right. No actor. But composers and other stuff. Yeah. What does John Williams have? He has a few, right? Doesn't he have 11 or something like that? 38. (laughs) The opening attack sequence is, I think it's filmed pretty well. I mean, that's one thing about the photography in this film, like some of the aerial shots in particular with... The helicopter, I think it's some pretty good camera work and photography. I think it's impressive. You did skip over the, uh, I think they had the opening, the introduction. Ten men were sent in, four return. Of those four, three wrote books. Two got published, and one got a movie deal. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty funny. And the opening attack, by the way, I did not know that Ball of Confusion was originally a Temptation song. <laughs> so, no? uh, so I was more familiar with the Love and Rockets version from the 80s. Yeah. So so when that started playing, I'm like, oh, what? Wow, what? <laughs> that was a surprise to me. Love and Rockets did it better. One thing about this movie that I think is really, really well done is there are so many riffs and callbacks to all these standard Vietnam movie tropes, but also very specific scenes from all these different films. I love that the fact that the radio guy gets shot. Like, in the, the radio guy is always the guy who gets shot in these movies, right? But when he takes the headshot, you see the blood spurting out of the head the way that it is. And then the great oh, thing is, man. at one point, like, Jack Black is trying to cover it up. And you see him briefly reach for a rock. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Like, he's going to jam a rock in there to try to cork it. So I just thought that that was pretty funny. I, I enjoyed that. First of all, you don't have a geyser coming out like the back of a guy's head after he gets shot, right? right? But then he's trying to stop... The bleeding? The guy's dead. <laughs> Why are you trying to stop it? <laughs> right. But it's just hilarious knowing that, oh, well, it's just a movie. They're just filming a movie. Of course, you don't know it at this point. Yeah. So then Brooklyn, Jay Baruchel's character, ends up getting a bayonet right in the guts. And <laughs> this is where you see then like the guts come open and then the guts are like spilling out of his body. And then I don't know if you guys notice when he's getting pulled to the helicopter, he has some of his guts in his own hand. <laughs> yeah. They're making fun of the sort of the viscera and all that that shows up in all these war I love movies. It. But I can put it back in. I can put it back in. <laughs> but he's got like the two to three times the, the normal amount of innards oh, yeah. as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> his yeah. intestines are everywhere. But then I really do love the tug speedman as he's running forward and getting shot. They must set off like 25 or 30 squibs on him as he's going down. <laughs> I know. I know what they're referencing here, obviously. This is the Elias, Sergeant Elias right. death from Platoon, right? Yeah. I mean, it's straight up Elias's death out of Platoon. It's almost beat for beat. But the fact that they then take the time to hype that up and make it over-stylized with so many bolts hitting him and he's falling and he's <laughs> rolling around and all that, I don't know. I just think that the callback to Platoon is pretty funny, but also the fact that this idea that this guy could take this many hits and still be moving is pretty funny. Yeah. So I think all that is done really well. I did like that. And it was, it's very obvious. I think, is that where they have the Daggio for strings playing? Yeah. Very different feel between that movie, Platoon, and this movie when that happens. It's a little flick to Oliver Stone's ear. Just, yeah. I mean, it's a great, there's a lot of great homages in this movie. There's a ton of them in this. Apocalypse Now, there's Rambo. All different war movies show up here in different homages. 
I do like the Danny McBride moment when he's excited about the explosion. Oh, he loves it. Treeline or what? Tuck Tuck and Kim got the blue balls here. I'm gonna let him score before it go. I need some dudes up here who speak American, goddammit. He's making a fucking sweater back here. I'm trying to put Tiger Bomb on this jungle's nuts. Neither of these jets are about to press this rich line. I got about 200 pounds of shit your pants. I need to know if we're ready to go. Still fired up to blow shit up. It's fun. And then it switches to the Axis Hollywood, and I love the piece of dialogue. Five days into filming, and they're one month behind <laughs> schedule. That's a great line. <laughs> That's pretty good. The use of Access Hollywood to give you the backstory of the movie and the stars, I think is really well done. I like it as a mechanism for essentially narration. And yeah. they do the same thing in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. And it's Access Hollywood. How much fun is that? Oh, and then what, what's the, what is the deal with Matthew McConaughey in terms of he's sitting in his office and as he's on the phone, he's just casually flipping through what is it like some 1950s or 60s pornography book i'm, I'm not i don't even yeah it's a very strange little moment i don't know what it that's was about like some very niche porno with big like, breasted women porno. with tools or something like that i don't know i guess when you're rich you can afford weird stuff this guy, <laughs> this guy doesn't surf the internet for porn like everyone else he imports that shit from sweden i love how they're having a party to celebrate one week of production the uh, lush productions that are happening today. But I do like where they send Cockburn in, the director, to meet with Les Grossman, and Les Grossman so has great. the grip, punch him in the face. <laughs> <That's> so. <laughs> Which one of you fuck faces is Damien Cockburn? Ah, uh, that's me, sir. Uh, it's good to finally meet you at last, get some face time. And who here is a key grip? You. Hit that director in the face really fucking hard. Sorry, man. The punch he delivered looked great. It was really good stunt work. He went went for it. Uh, Yeah, great stunt work. This is where you have Four Leaf. And so Four Leaf's in the back of the room. And at one point, Les Grossman says, yeah, you're a great American. Now shut the fuck up, whatever it is, so I can do my job. (laughs) But then the moment where Four Leaf is out on the beach, and he's he's in his hut, and he says... (laughs) Beds give him nightmares. <laughs> like all this is like ridiculous. And then the dialogue that he's giving to Cockburn. And I just, I love Steve Coogan in that moment because Steve Coogan's looking at this guy and trying to figure out, are you saying something important or do I understand what you're saying at all? I, I'm not really sure. I'm guessing right about now, you couldn't find a Dixie Coon skin with a high hooker holding your prick and showing you the way. What? The confusion is, he's like, sort of like, go like, uh huh, yeah, uh huh, and then he goes, no, no, what do you mean? <laughs> it's just like, he was like, you had me, you had me. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And it was, it was just like a bunch of fucking gibberish. It makes sense because that's tied into Four Leafs reveal as being a faker later in the movie, right? So he's just spewing a bunch of random crap, but it's pretty funny. Cockburn decides to take Four Leafs' advice and he's going to take his actors out and put them in the shit. As they're flying out, one thing I do like is where Ben Stiller reaches into his pouch and he pulls out a grenade that's full of M&Ms. <laughs> he offers M&Ms <laughs> to the other people in the chopper. One thing I was wondering, is that a reference to Predator? Remember when uh, Jesse Ventura offers the tobacco to people in the uh, helicopter? Made me think of that briefly. Yeah, probably. Why not? Don't know. Yeah, all those references, that doesn't make a movie for me. I don't think they're over the top of them. I just think that it's more, they're noticeable, I guess. Yeah. I wasn't really looking for the references, but when they were like fairly obvious, I was noting them. Like the big party was very much like, 
Apocalypse Now and the USO right. tour, right? And it's fun. The overall tone, right? They try and capture the mood of the, these movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have like when they pop up out of the river. I mean, that's straight out of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Uh, when he's hanging on the yoke and they're dipping him in the water, that's straight out of Rambo. It's the exact same oh, setup yeah. when he's in Rambo and they're dipping him into the sanitation pit. You see things like that throughout this movie. And I have to believe that they were done consciously. Oh, for sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Ben Stiller said he took a bunch of stuff out. He thought he had too much in. Right. Like with, um, with Four Leaf, he was going to do it very much like Quint in jaws and they're just like no no, no there's, there's it's too much it's too much take it out well then they get out to the shit and the idea is that as a group of actors they're going to be out there they're going to film it more gorilla style you mentioned this earlier but cockburn steps on a landmine and he's just blown up but and then i do love tug speedman so ben stiller picking up the head and, and he's like it's corn syrup it's corn syrup and he's like, oh, well, the surprise was great the, the him blowing up and getting killed i was like oh shit <laughs> like Great surprise, but then him playing with the head and that stuff just seemed kind of... I liked it. They start navigating up the river, and this is where I'm sure that when people think about this movie, this is one of the scenes that they think about. So Tug Speedman and Kirk Lazarus are walking in the jungle, and they're talking about their performance, and he mentions Simple Jack, and this is where he gives them the speech about you never go full retard. Hats off of going there. Especially no not to cat me is about that shit. Wait. About what? You're serious? You don't know. <laughs> Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man, look retarded, act retarded, not retarded. Cat two picks, cheated cards, autistic, shut, not retarded. You got Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe, braces on his legs, but he charmed the pants off next to him and won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. Peter Sellers being there. Infantile, yes, retarded, no. You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. You don't buy that? Ask Sean Penn, 2001, I am saying. Remember? Went full retard. Went home empty-handed. I have to say, I think this is pretty funny, and I also think that it's pretty accurate in terms of a takedown of Hollywood and people trying to play disabled characters just so they can get their Academy Awards. I think this works, and I think it's pretty funny. Leading up to that speech, Kirk Lazarus says, you really swung for the fences, and Tug says, You just did the work. Watched a lot of retarded people. Spent time with them, observed them. Watched all the retarded stuff they did. Really, this whole scene, and not just, you know, check it out, Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man, looked retarded, act retarded. That whole part, that kills. But the whole thing, even leading up to that, that whole conversation throughout the jungle, is so good. You know, there were times when I was doing Jack, that I actually felt retarded, like really retarded. Damn. In a weird way, I had to sort of just free myself up to believe that it was okay to be stupid or dumb. To be a moron. Yeah. To be moronical. Exactly, to be a moron. An imbecile. Yeah. Like the dumbest motherfucker that ever lived. When I was playing the character. When you was a character. Yeah, yeah, I mean, as Jack, definitely. Yeah. Jack, stupid ass Jack. This is the star scene of this movie. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> you were not, not a, a fan of it. No, no, really? no, no. I, I, I found it. I won't say I was offended, but it's more. And I, I understood what they're doing, and I understood like what they were talking about, but it still just seemed. It's the word. Is it the word? I, is it? The, it might be. Yeah. It's got to be the word, because I mean they use it over and over and over again. Actually, using the word retard is indicative of them being out of touch. Yes. Watching retarded people do retarded things 
A little bit of a flashback, by the way, to uh, there's something about Mary. <laughs> oh, for sure. Just, I was just about to say that. Yeah. I, yeah, I was actually yeah. looking up right now to see if Ben Stiller wrote something about Mary. No, it was at Farley Brothers. He was not on the writing staff. Definitely has a similar vein to that. Yeah. What do you say? Uh, yeah, I love those goofy little retards. Uh, yeah. Goofy like, fuckers. Uh, goofy little fuckers. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think, I think it's, it's <laughs> walking the line too close because they're using it as a joke. They're goofing on the character, using it as a joke, but still using it as a joke. It's tough. I don't like it. I know they're not being cruel themselves. That's not the intent, so I get it. Here's the thing, I think, why this scene works, because it's not just that you're using that word and you're using it over and over again, but it's building up to a thesis. And that thesis is so dead on accurate that you're just forced to just accept the fact that it's okay. Um, I mean, it is, it's sort of brilliant when everyone heard this whole thing about not going full retard and then him backing it up. Oh my God. Everyone's just like, oh my God, he's right. It would not shock me, honestly, if that scene ended up changing a few script decisions for people or actor decisions. I mean, honestly, oh, after yeah. that. Oh yeah. No, I totally agree. Somebody was watching that movie and they're like, oh, wait a minute. I got to call my agent. I'm not sure I'm really interested in that role. So. <laughs> yeah. Using Sean Penn as example in I Am Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't buy that? Ask Sean Penn. 2001, I Am Sam. Went full <laughs> but, retard, went home, empty-handed. By the way, you know, Ben Stiller apparently called the director of I Am Sam and gave him a heads up that uh, it was coming and this joke was actually going to be there. Probably a good idea. And called Sean Penn as well, apparently. Also, a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Like I was saying, like I don't think they're being mean or, or malicious or, or being offensive. I get they're doing parody. It just doesn't doesn't work for me. That's fine. So they give a map to Tug, and he's supposed to be leading the group, and he's really trying to be in character. But of course, he can't read a map, so he's just they're just wandering through the jungle. One thing that you hear Robert Downey Jr. say is, "Okay, that's lunch. We'll come back to the same scene as before. Lost in the jungle with Captain Simple Jack." <laughs> so just, <laughs> there's, there's lots of little tiny throwaway lines. This is a little bit like I guess Gross Point Blank in terms of something I like that a lot of them just work for me, and I think it's pretty funny. Tug goes off wandering. He's starting to lose his mind a little bit. And by the way, what's this been like four hours? So, that, so that's the other thing that's kind of funny, right? Something comes out and attacks him. And he stabs it and he kills it. By the way, this is another Predator reference. Bill Duke does this to a boar <laughs> in Predator, but whatever. And then, of course, it ends up being a panda. So my question here is, <laughs> why does Tug end up wearing the panda's head on his, on his, or his uh, panda's face on his head? Oh, because he's totally gone native. He made his kill and now he has taken on the... He's honoring the, the, the kill by wearing it, wearing its head on his head. It's hilarious to see him walking around with this carved out panda skull, like on top of his head. Oh, man. Tug goes to call his agent. And I, I just love Matthew McConaughey's response to this. Rick. Tug. I killed one, Rick. The thing I love most in the world. Vivica, get off the line now. A hooker. All right, you killed a hooker. Calm down. Here's what you're going to do. Get your hands on some bleach, some hydrogen peroxide, and a shitload of lime. No, a panda. I am Amanda. Amanda. Come on, dude. I mean, that, that's probably not even a real name. Yeah, the Matthew McConaughey, the pragmatism that comes across in some of these moments, I think is pretty funny. <laughs> yes, that was very funny. They go walking across the field and 
a Ford Fairlane reference occurs in this film, which is kind of shocking, actually. Has Ford Fairlane ever been referenced in any other film? But I do love the fact that they're having a conversation about Rennie Harlan. And apparently that was all uh, Jay Baruchel just improving. I don't think anyone was having a conversation about Rennie Harlan. <laughs> but yeah, Sandusky is basically talking to the heir about his favorite Rennie Harlan movies. Yeah, I laughed out loud when I heard him you know, mention The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Good stuff. Yeah, that's right. Because Robert Downey Jr. spins around and says at one point, he says, uh, "Are you have you been talking to me this whole time?" <laughs> that's, <not laughs> that's a pretty good line. I related to Sandusky in that moment. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is anyone listening? Tug gets captured, and he's brought to the heroin processing plant of what are they called again? What's the name of the organization? Flame, Sorry, Flaming, Flaming Dragon. Dragons. I think we used to get something at a. Chinese restaurant called Flaming Dragon. Flaming Dragon Roll is great. (laughs) Then they call Wes Grossman. His recommendation is for them to take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. Now, I don't know what kind of pan Pacific bullshit power play you're trying to pull here, but Asia Jack is my territory. So whatever you're thinking, you better think again. Otherwise, I'm going to have to head down there and I will rain down on a godly fucking firestorm upon you. You're going to have to call the fucking United Nations and get a fucking binding resolution to keep me from fucking destroying you. I am talking scorched earth, motherfucker. I will massacre you. I will fuck you up. <laughs> But, but what's great about that is he, he goes through this whole diatribe, right? And then he hangs up on them. And then as he's walking away, he turns to his assistant and he says, can you find out who that was? So that, that's what I like about that <laughs> right. moment. He doesn't even really know who he's talking to, but he doesn't care because that's just who he is. He's just an asshole. Uh, and then I liked when they're up on the ridge. This is another moment that I did like for the, the Jeff Portnoy character. So he has a plan about how they're going to get in there. And he recommends, he's, he says, you know, I made this sex comedy or whatever where we we built a catapult and they shot us over the wall and we flew down holding our underwear (laughs) but what's great about that is it's not what he says it's the beat that happens after that there's like a two or three second hold where all the other characters are just looking at him and that's a pretty funny moment it's very well executed he's basically describing the the plot of meatballs or any other 1980s that's what i was trying to think of camp comedy kirk lassers is sitting there cleaning his gun with no bullets he's like i'm just like a little boy playing with his dick when he's nervous <laughs> cut to sand dusky his face is just like gross <laughs> like what are you doing what are you talking about i did love Les grossman like turns to the crowd around him we don't negotiate with terrorists and then they all start clapping yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious oh man and then there's of course there's the the line when um they give him the demand of a hundred okay now a hundred million we not money yet Price now 100 million. You pay now or tomorrow Simple Jack die. Great. Uh, let me get this down. 100 million. Oh, wait. I got a better idea. Instead of 100 million, how about I send you a hobo's dick cheese? Then you kill him. Do your thing. Skin the fucking bastard. Go to town, man. Go to town. No. In the meantime, and as usual, go fuck yourself. I mean, for the most part, all the Les Grossman dialogue and the energy is fun. It is. It's relatively one note, but it happens to be a good note, and I think it works very well. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I did not like him, the whole dancing stuff. I thought it was just kind of dumb. Him and Bill Hader, and then the ending of it, too. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Too much. I liked it. Too much. The, what are they called again? The Flaming Dragons? What is is this? Flaming Dragons. Flaming Dragon. They force 
Tug Speedman to put on a live performance of Simple Jack. And what's great about this moment is Kirk Lazarus is actually reviewing his performance, his stage performance. And that's... To the mayor's credit, he's actually eased up on the retard daughter. And now that's out of the balance and the audience can connect. Mm. I mean, this is theater 101, but, you know, the guy's had, he's had a tough road to become a naturalist, yeah. break down the aesthetic distance. <laughs> and, then, and then when he's getting hit, one of the things he says is, damn short bus is taking some real hits. <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to talk about this movie and just do lines, honestly. But it is pretty funny. And then I do love the exchange with Al Pacino about, he's like, hey, you know, it's like, we got to stick together and all that. And he's like, but are we cool? <laughs> not really. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is great. And then I already mentioned that, uh, yes, Tug being dipped was the, uh, was the Rambo reference. Uh, but then also this is where the reveal shows up that Al Pacino has feelings for someone named Lance. And, of course, Robert Downey Jr. is able to deliver another couple of great lines just in a row. It's simple as pie, man. You plant your feet in the ground, you look square in the eyes, and you say, hey, baby, you and me's going on today. That's in the story. What's the name? Lance. Listen here, Lance. Lance. What the fuck did I just hear, Lance? You said Lance? No. That sounded like Lance. No, I said Nance. That's what I said, Nance. It sounded like Lance. Look, I'm out with Chino, okay? I love the pussy, right? Lay your ass back down and look at the stars. When you wrote I love the pussy, was you thinking of dangling your dice on Lance's forehead? No, hell no. What? Come on, look. Man, everyone's gay once in a while. I'm not gay. How about we do this? How about we all get back? (laughs) So good. I do love that Kirk Lazarus, as a method actor, so he trained for a movie that he was going to make by working in a Beijing textile factory for eight months. He drops that line, right? <laughs> so for eight months. He worked for eight <laughs> months in a textile factory so he could learn Mandarin. I love all of the subtitles that he creates when he's trying to speak Mandarin because he's not doing an, a super great job. And some of the stuff is like, my face looks like a koi fish stuck inside an almond cookie. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and then also he talks about how a trans a transvestite lured him to an outhouse and after he exploded, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> Uh, i was i was enjoying that i thought that was pretty good i don't know if if you guys are familiar with the movie uncommon valor from the 80s action movie go back and rescue pow's from vietnam yeah there's a scene where they bust through the door and one of the pow's is all shaken he's like well i can't go because the garden is here he's like we can take the garden with us and he pulls the guy out like that's immediately what i thought of when i saw the scene where you know kirk lazarus is starting to talk to tug speedman it's just such a goof on actors getting so deep in their roles that they can't come out and they're both those guys at that point and they're they, they both seem like complete and utter dipshits honestly yeah i was getting colonel gertz too from apocalypse now of course talking about it, an actor getting deep in a role or showing up for the role and not anywhere in in shape for the role uh yeah well and then lazarus says that uh you know, he's on tilt, like that time they found me in an alley in a refrigerator box trying to re-enter the atmosphere or whatever when he's right. playing Neil Armstrong. <laughs> 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 There's even a Raiders reference in here. When Jeff Portnoy sees the big mound of, of heroin, it's Indy and the idol, and he's even like doing this with his fingers. It's funny because I thought about the idol, and then I also thought about Close Encounters with the Mashed Potato Mountain. Yeah, it sort of looked like Devil's Tower. It did. It looked a little bit like Devil's Tower, yeah. Heroin stacked in the form of devil's tower but those are not vietnam movies so we can't really talk about them okay <laughs> as they're running out just a few fun moments in relation to the shootout like i do love the fact that al pacino when he goes to fire the m16 he's firing it sideways 
his style for holding right, the gun right. is, is pretty funny. Uh, and of course, what kicks all this off is this truly great moment with Robert Downey Jr. where he, uh, he declares that he's a lead farmer. That's just pretty fucking fantastic. That's funny, man. I love that moment. <laughs> Makes me laugh. The kid's grilling him. Where's your farm? Where's your farm? I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. That's great. Lazarus has had his moment of revelation where he realizes he is not this sergeant. And so he slowly takes off his prosthetic wig and his contacts. And then you see him with you know blue eyes and blonde hair. But he still has, obviously, the the dark skin that's kind of a weird moment honestly from a blackface perspective i mean that, that that's like whoa it reminds you exactly what's going on here in terms of the actor I, i'll admit that they also have robert Downey jr now using a, a whole bunch of overly australian dialogue in some respects tug Speedman says he's gonna stay because he has a son named that he names half squat <laughs> so and uh i love that robert Downey jr replies with who the crikey fuck is half squat <laughs> so yeah i didn't quite get the whole tug I think they're trying to get the, the the lonely actor, and then like he's looking for his son. It was a weird story beat, I thought. Th- it was, yeah, because they did it in the beginning where he was trying to adopt some kids, and he was just like, "No, not that yeah. one." Like, is that a spoof or is it not? Like yeah, that that's no. Him. I think they were playing on the Access Hollywood stuff that was back in the beginning where Tug Speedman was being interviewed, and he looked like he was in need of some emotional connection. It seemed weird. I don't know if they're goofing on the uh, the pits and. And Angelina Jolie, or I don't know, the whole thing seemed a little bit off on that part. Yeah, out of all that, I mean, I don't think you need the little adoption thing in there. But I guess they mostly had that in there so that he could receive his stick Oscar that he was (laughs) given after his performance. I did like the when he's running and the kids on the back. That was actually worth it. And he's like stabbing Stabbing. him (laughs) with his little tiny knife. Uh, Just like tearing up his (laughs) back. That was hilarious. And then he grabs him off and he like flings him and he's like, yeah, off the bridge. Uh, that was very pretty funny. Good. The whole escape at the end is a callback to the very beginning of the film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's almost beat for beat. Yeah, yeah it's beat for beat. And it's very good. It's like it's a it's a nice way to wrap the whole thing up. Yeah, so one question I had here is how did Tug's agent get to the jungle? Because all of a sudden Matthew McConaughey comes running out of the forest and he has his TiVo with him, which I think is pretty funny. But they don't really explain how he got there. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look for too many holes in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then how did he get home? You just see him run back through the jungle, actually, as the yeah, helicopter. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I think it's just that he's he's a super agent. That's it. When they actually have the Oscars ceremony, I do love the images that they put up when Kirk Lazarus is reading who's up for the Academy Award because you have, well, I think it's Jason Bateman playing a, a blind character, it looks like, trying to read a book. You have Tom Hanks in a wheelchair. That's also another rip They're on all, Hollywood, yeah, right? yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty clever. Pretty good skewering of, okay, well, what kind of roles are going to actually be up for Academy Awards? I think that part is actually pretty funny. And you get to see Al Pacino with his new boyfriend, Lance. Lance, Lance Bass from Lance NSYNC. Bass. Yep. And then, of course, I, I love that they win Best Picture for not Tropic Thunder, but Tropic, Tropic Blunder, Blunder. The, the true story behind the making of the most expensive fake true war story ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. That is a documentary that I would like to see. Yeah, the, and the writing's pretty good, too. And apparently, by the way, they also made a documentary about the filming of Tropic Thunder that they tried to make in the similar vein as of Hearts of Darkness, the Apocalypse Now documentary. Right. Uh, I haven't seen it, but apparently something like that exists out there. That's really it for the film. I mean, it's a not a particularly deep film that we need to overly analyze. I think that <laughs> it's mostly about 
humor, really good dialogue, and of course, just an ongoing takedown of the Hollywood process end to end. One interesting trivia note, so apparently Brandon T. Jackson, who plays Al Pacino, had his mom visit the set, and she thought that Robert Downey Jr. was Don Cheadle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He pulled it off. He pulled it off. That's funny. I guess the makeup and the affect and all that kind of stuff, uh, I guess he stuck the landing on that one, Robert Downey Jr., so congratulations. That's funny. I wonder if Robert Downey Jr., as he was still in character between takes and probably offset as well, I wonder if he experienced any uh, uh, racism or subtle racism and microaggressions and, and all of that. Yeah, that's interesting. If people on set treat him a little different, it'd be interesting. I'm pretty sure they had pictures up everywhere saying, like, this is the star of our movie. Right. Yeah, I think they knew who he was. <laughs> I think so, too. Plus, they were in Kauai. It was the, the, the film crew, and that's it. That must be a weird experience, though, to have that makeup put on you on a daily basis. I mean, that must be kind of, that must have oh, been yeah. an interesting uh, transformation. All right, well, let me ask this, guys. What did you learn from this movie? Marcus, what did you learn? I learned I don't like Jack Black, and I'm not really a big fan of these crazy, over-the-top, zany comedies. All right. Colin. Well, never go full retard is the obvious choice. What I learned from this movie, I learned that Australians truly are our greatest actors. Wayne Gale. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn, Dave? I just learned uh, don't go into the shit, which I think I will adopt as some sort of a motto for life, I guess. Closing thoughts. Marcus, what do you got? Uh, this movie is basically not for me. It's occasionally amusing. I think the writing is actually pretty good. There's some very funny scenes, but overall, I didn't enjoy it that much. A little too over the top in many scenes, like the Tom Cruise dancing, just some of the Jack Black for sure drops it down a full letter grade, probably. It's a good parody of Hollywood, and I think it's kind of funny in that regard. Um, I think it's just a little more over the top for me. Uh, my letter grade, I give it a C. Wow. Well, I, I think it's a really funny parody or satire of Hollywood. So I, I like everything that deals specifically with that. And I think there's a lot of really funny dialogue. I don't know that there's a ton of great situational humor, but the dialogue is is really well written and really nails it in a lot of scenes. Robert Downey Jr. is fantastic. And I think he probably deserved to get that nomination. It, I mean, it's not like a movie I'm going to watch over and over. It's not even throughout the the whole movie, there's a lot that is quite funny. And it's a movie that really knew where the line was and it went right up to that line, I think. Maybe maybe crossed it slightly in spots, but... And I'm going to give it a B plus. Uh, I will also give it a B plus and echo much of what you said. I just think that the dialogue in particular is very strong and very funny. It, it, so it, it satisfied my need to uh, watch a film and watch actors get capped on a little bit. That was fun. I enjoyed it. And the the B plus for me, the plus part of it is uh, maybe the fact that it's just also a movie that wouldn't be made today. There is a certain bravery to this film, honestly. I think overall, I would kind of give this movie like a B, but I actually honestly respect it for them willing to push the boundaries, especially for a $92 million budgeted film. I mean, it takes balls to make this movie. It really does. Oh, for sure. I agree. I totally agree. I think you're absolutely right, because I remember seeing this in 2008 and thinking, oh my God, whoa. Hold on a second. I just don't think these days you're going to get that many more movies or comedies where they're going to walk up to the line and start pushing against the line. That kind of bums me out a little bit because people need to learn to 
be offended and not not turn it into a crusade. I mean, sometimes you can just not like something and you can move on with your life. That's the plus on this for the B plus for me. I think it depends on the subject matter, right? This one, they're parroting the subject matter. So it's okay. That's not why I dislike it. I think I dislike it for just more of the craziness of it than anything else. But I think people still put controversial comedies and stuff out there. I think they'll still push the line and stuff. I don't think it'll be... They won't be attacking as much gender. They won't be attacking like races or the sexuality. Find humor a different way. And I think that's fine. I think this is a very good satire, right? And I just think that yeah. th- that satire maybe as a comedic form, at least in film, is... Uh, I haven't seen a lot of good ones along those lines, right? Well, that's a funny thing about society. I think we've talked about it in a couple of other... Um, like Natural Born Killers or in Falling Down, a couple of the other movies that have this like weird association with it. People confuse it more than the, the movie is trying to say too, right? It's unfortunate that we have to dumb down our entertainment because a bunch yeah. of people out there are stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Starship Troopers was the other one. Fast Vision. Th- that's true, yeah. You know, this movie, it's still a satire. It's a, it, it is skewering Hollywood and you know, no one's going to be offended. No one's going to care if a bunch of Hollywood actors get offended that they're making fun of them. It's just those two subjects of, well, using the, the word retard and, you know, making fun of a person with a character with mental disabilities and blackface. But the, that's what makes this movie so damn interesting. Yeah, I agree. More so on the blackface. <laughs> I would say I'm glad I watched it. It's definitely an interesting movie. and I'm glad I watched it. So maybe maybe I'll give it up to a C plus, but it's not as good as Gross Point Blank. So I don't know. Well, there you go. C to C to C plus. And we'll have to see what other, we'll have to go back and look at the comedies. I'm not sure Marcus is a comedy guy. That's what I'm taking away from this. I love good comedies. Why don't we do Airplane? Then he'll love it. Not zany and wacky. It's a little more subtle and a little more. Midnight Run, another great one. Well, speaking of that, I think we are at the point in the pod where Marcus gets to pick the next movie. Marcus, what are we watching next? I am not going to comedy next, but I am going to honor Colin's recent watch. He just watched Bat Reeves' The Batman. In that vein, I'll go with one of Matt Reeves. I like to call it his first film because the pallbearer, I'm not sure many people saw. I saw that movie. Did I you saw see it. it? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go with uh, Matt Reeves' Cloverfield, found footage film, thriller, Cloverfield will be next. Oh, interesting. I like that movie. I really liked it when it came out. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. I'm definitely not a fan of the found footage genre, though, in general. So that one is mostly tolerable, but we'll have to see how it goes. I think I've only seen it once when it first came out, so it's a nice revisit, too. It's not as good on rewatch, unfortunately. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh. Not, to, not to burst your bubble. <laughs> well, we will see. All right. We'll be back with a disappointing Cloverfield, I guess, in the, <laughs> in the near future. So. <laughs> Please take the time to watch that movie in advance of our podcast. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation about Tropic Thunder. I, which I can't was... believe you've seen Paul Bearer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... it's romantic it's, comedy. It's, it's got Ross from Friends yeah, and David Schwimmer. Yeah, of course. That's funny. Good, Dave. Go ahead and wrap. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation about Tropic Thunder, which was mostly us just reciting lines that we enjoyed from the film. <laughs> we do think that the uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Ben Stiller performances and some of the actions they take are borderline, but mostly work, are funny. For at least Colin and myself, Marcus, not so much. Uh, with that, this is The Real DMC Podcast, signing off. Goodbye, everybody. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's got to say something. Thank you, Colin. All right. Well, we're kind of talking about cast anyways, but I will go back and insert the cast bumper at some point. But... (laughs)
<laughs> Great direction, Dave. <laughs> Colin hates it when you mention the bumpers. He's like, just insert them in. <laughs> Dude, I'm editing this. Just calm the fuck down. Just relax. Have a sandwich. Have a glass of milk. Do some fucking I'm going to fuck with you. Uh, bumper. Insert bumper here. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the, like the Fight Club thing, like your brain was melting because I mentioned the word bumper. Like, I don't <laughs> understand that, dude. I mean, come on. We're professionals now.